Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey everybody, Paul Gray here. Thanks so much for joining me for another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. And I'm so excited about what I'm going to share with you today because it's tremendously changed my life for the better and many others too. And I think it will for you too. I want to start out with just a little backstory information. The Bible that we call the Protestant or the Catholic Bible has two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament was written to the Jewish people, not written to us. Now, it's written for us in that we can learn things from it, but it wasn't written to us. And in the whole Old Testament that was written up until, included up until the end of each one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it ended at Jesus' death and resurrection, there's no concept at all of God as a father, no concept of God as a father. He was a distant, aloof, separate, out there, punitive deity that had to be pleased. Really, just like the gods of all the other religions of, of, of the time. Well, Jesus came to reveal to us what the father is really like. That was one of the primary reasons that Jesus came, to reveal to us what God is really like and that God is father. And Jesus did that in his three-and-a-half-year ministry better than anybody ever had or could. For example, when Jesus raised from the dead and Mary uh, approached in there, he said, I'm going to go to my father and your father, not just Jesus' father, but your father, our father. The disciples asked Jesus, they said, teach us how to pray. And he said, all right, start out like this, our father. Jesus himself, God himself, defined himself as love, grace, mercy, and truth. And Jesus is the exact representation of God. Now, along comes Saul, a Pharisee, one of the leaders of the Jewish religion. He was the guy who really persecuted Christians and didn't believe Jesus was the son of God, didn't believe in his version of God. He had this dark religious concept of God until... Jesus appeared to him and started revealing the truth. Then in his letters that became books of the New Testament, two-thirds of the New Testament, he over and over again refers to God as God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he does that to distinguish God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, between the false concept of God that religion had that was anything but a father. Saul's mission was to show us that God was a loving father, not an absent tyrant. All right, several times Paul referred to God as the father of all mankind, the perfect father, the father of all people. 
So here's the really big deal about what we're going to talk about today. It may be the most important question that I ever ask and myself and that you ever ask yourself. Here's the question. Do you personally know and believe and trust and experience God as your father, your personal, ever-present, all-good, all-loving, intimate papa who's taking care of you and blessing you? Do you experience God that way? Now, I totally understand it can be very hard to do if, if you didn't have a good situation with your earthly father. And some people haven't. It makes it harder, but certainly not impossible. Because God is not like that at all. This is not an intellectual understanding. It's not something that you learn the right words to say to pass a pop quiz at Sunday school. It's do you experientially know and relate to God as your good, good father? Now, here's, in my experience, how you know. You relate to, you communicate with, you act and live like God is your father, and you actually have a personal relationship with the all-good, perfect father, the all-powerful father who only uses his power for good, the father who is unconditional love and grace and mercy that endures forever, who's all-good, who is pure light with no trace of darkness, who has no fear, nothing to fear with him. He's not into punishment or anything like that. You intimately know and communicate and relate to and experience that father 24-7. So here's my question for me and for you. Are you having that kind of relationship? Do you live like God really is your real intimate father? This has to be revealed to you by the Holy Spirit, by grace, the Spirit of Christ in you. God reveals these truths to our spirit, our heart. Then our mind, our soul, our thinker, our feeler, our chooser can choose to believe our spirit or can choose to believe what we've been taught by religion, by society, by other people. The mind is a great servant and a terrible boss. The mind, our mind, wants to be in control our ego. It wants to be in control based on the things it's learned and decisions it's made. It wants to tell us what to do. It wants to run our life. In the Bible, it's called the flesh or the carnal person or the false self. But spiritually, we can hear with spiritual ears and listen to what the Holy Spirit in us tells our spirit. Then with our mind, we have the ability to choose. We can choose to believe and trust what our spirit says or what our mind says. We won't experience God as our personal father when we only go by what our mind says. The Apostle Paul has great insight with this. He's writing here, I'm going to read a passage to you from uh, Galatians. He started the church in Galatia, got off to a great start. They believed in grace for all people and God's unconditional love and inclusion and mercy that endures forever and God being perfect light and no trace of darkness. Then some religious people would be the the equivalent of the evangelical movement of Christianity today came in 
and said, yeah, yeah, well, Jesus is okay, but you got to keep these rules. It's up to you. You got to do this. You got to do that. It's a transactional thing. Jesus is good, but you got to do, do, do. Well, he's writing to this group that's been influenced like that. And, you know, this group has come in and said, you got to get, you got to do all these things to get God to bless you. And God's not as good as you think. He's angry and punitive and keeping a list and all that kind of stuff. Well, Paul almost shouts at them when he writes this letter and says, no, no, no. God is your papa. God is your Abba, your daddy. You are already blessed. You are right with God. You are a child of God, and you can never not be a child of God. See, one of the hard, fast religious rules for those people then was that men had to be circumcised to show God how obedient you are, and God's not going to bless you unless you do that. Well, here's what Paul says about that. Galatians 5, starting verse 4. He says, if you want to be made right with God by fulfilling the obligation of the law, you've cut off more than your flesh. You've cut yourself off from Christ and have fallen away from the revelation of grace. But he says, we have the true hope that comes from our already being made right with God. And by the Spirit, we wait eagerly for this hope. It says, when you're joined to the anointed one, circumcision and religious legalism, all of those things benefit you nothing. He said, really, all that matters is living in the faith that works and expresses itself through love. He said, therefore, you were led astray. Before you were led astray, you were so faithful. Who, who's deceived you so that you've turned away from what is right? He said, the one who enfolded you into his grace God did it all, is not behind this false teaching that you've embraced. He says, don't you know that when you allow even a little lie into your heart, it can permeate your entire belief system? See, there are things that we hear from our religious days that sound so good because we heard them all the time, but when they're lies, we got to have nothing to do with them. Paul says, deep in my heart, I have confidence in the Lord. The Lord who lives in you will bring you back around to the truth. And I'm convinced that those who trouble you, whoever they think they are, they're going to bear the penalty. He said, dear friends, why do you think the religious system persecutes me? Is it because I preach the message of being circumcised and keeping all the laws of religion? No. He said, I don't do that. He said, tell you the truth, I'm so disgusted with all your agitators, I wish they'd go even further and castrate themselves. See, he and Jesus got upset with religious people who said, you got to do things to get right with God, and God is angry and punitive. They didn't, you know, they stopped the line at being nice there. Still loved the people, but they weren't going to tolerate that. Beloved ones, God has called us to live a life of freedom. But don't view this wonderful freedom as an excuse to set up a base of operations in the natural realm. Constantly love each other and be committed to serve one another. For all the law can be summarized in one grand statement. Demonstrate love to your neighbor, even as you care for and love yourself. But if you continue to criticize and come against each other over minor issues, you're acting like wild beasts trying to destroy one another. Let me emphasize this, he said. As you yield to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. <clears throat> Whenever your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit, you hinder the Spirit from living free within you. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your self-life from dominating you. So then there's these two incompatible and conflicting forces within you, 
And they are your self-life of the flesh and the new creation life of the spirit. It says, now, when you yield to the life of the spirit, you will no longer be living under the law, but soaring over it. The behavior of the self-life is obvious. You know, uh, you know, adultery, sexual sins, uh, uh, all these kind of things. Anger, getting upset with people, slander, and all of those kinds of things. <clears throat> Chasing after things instead of God, manipulating people, hatred of those who get in your way, senseless arguments, resentment when others get favored over you, temper tantrums, angry quarrels. All of those things are living out of your false self, out of your ego, out of your mind that wants its way all the time. <clears throat> he says, being envious of the blessings of others and uh, all things like that. He said, haven't I already warned you that those who use them, their freedom to these things won't experience the blessings of the kingdom of God? But he says, the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions. It's joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart and strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. Keep in mind that we who belong to Jesus have already experienced crucifixion. Everything connected with our self-life was put to death on the cross and crucified with Jesus. So since the spirit is the source of our life, Allow the Spirit to direct every aspect of our lives. That's the deal. Allow the Holy Spirit, Christ in you, to direct every aspect of your life. Listen, the Holy Spirit in you, the Spirit of Christ in you, grace will answer your questions, will give you wisdom, will tell you what to do, will tell you what to say, and Christ will do it as you. He says, may we never be arrogant or look down on another person each of us is an original. We got to forsake all jealousy that diminishes the value of others. So in my understanding, here's how we know we're experiencing living like God, living like God is our father. We find ourselves experiencing and living like the God of the universe, who is all good, who owns everything, who has unlimited resources, who has already lavished everything on us. We effortlessly experience all the things, all the fruit of the spirit, all the blessings that God already has. We already have them. We go around like the child of the king, the child of God, knowing that not that we're anything special in our own right. It's just that we're a child of God like everyone else and knowing all the riches that we already have. See, a son or a daughter of the king doesn't ask for blessings. They know they already have them. They live out of the abundance of their family inheritance and resources. On the other hand, slaves have a performance-driven, pressure-filled reality, a mindset, and they're always just begging for scraps. Well, we're children of the king. We're sons and daughters of God himself. We don't have to beg and plead for scraps, and hopefully we can do something to get into the king's good graces to give us something. No, we're sons and daughters of God. James, Jesus' half-brother, had been a religious slave, and then he realized he was the son of God, like Jesus. And he wrote in James 1, 17 and 18, he said, every good gift freely comes to us from God. 
it streams down from the father of lights who shines from the heavens with no hidden shadow or darkness and is never subject to change. He said, God was delighted to give us birth by the truth of his infallible word, Jesus Christ, so that we would fulfill his chosen destiny for us and become the favorite ones out of all of his creation. I found that a son of daughter of God, when we live like the son or daughter of God, we experience these good and perfect gifts who come from Papa. We participate in the divine nature. We know that we have divine DNA. We know that we're one with Papa and Jesus and grace. We're in union with them. We know that we have favor and grace. We have wholeness. We know that we're a co-heir of everything that Papa has with Christ. We know that we are. we bring joy to the Lord, that God is the light of the world and we are the light of the world. We know that we have the righteousness. We are the righteousness of God. We know that we're worthy of every one of his good promises. We know that we are a curse breaker and a blessing bringer. We no longer live in the lies that the world and religion and family has told us, but rather we're a contradiction to those lies. The, the, the Hebrews, the ancient Hebrews had a word for that. It's called shalom. And we just, when we think about that, we just kind of think, oh, well, it means peace or something like that. No. Shalom means perfect wholeness. It, it's in your innermost spirit, in your mind, in your emotions. Every cell is shalom. It's a relationship of wholeness where you and God are fitted together in seamless union. It's well-being and contentment and soundness of mind and soundness of health and harmony of your total person. It's, it's wholeness in every area of your life. In Luke 15, the religious older brother who was really mad at the father for accepting the son home, he heard the party going on and he asked this servant, he said, what's going on? And he says, your father has shalom. That's the word in the original text. Your father has shalom, your younger brother. He's received him with all that encompasses shalom. Peace, wholeness, goodness, total acceptance, all of those things, grace, well, the older son, the religious boy, had a slave mentality, and he was just irate that the father gave shalom to the rebellious son. Well, sometime we'll study that word and talk about it more. Shalom is it's not a vague, abstract thing. It's the movement of God towards us from within us, restoring everything in us to God's original intention, the restoration of all. See, when you're a son or a daughter of God, faith is not hoping you'll get what you don't have. It's realizing what you already do have. Salvation is not being saved from something bad. It's being saved to something perfect. The blessing, the word sozo, that's badly translated salvation, the word shalom, that it all means the same thing. And it replaces the pain that we've had of living apart from God. The sinner's prayer really should be, wow, thank you for what you've already done, Papa, and what you've already given to me. You've blessed me indeed. Not, I'm so bad and unworthy, and can you please throw me a scrap? Not at all. We're going to talk about that more next time. We're going to talk about what praying as a son or daughter of God is really like. I want to relate to you something that Papa told me one morning this week, and I believe it's true for all of us. <laughs> so you can personalize this for yourself. He said, Paul, nothing you can ever think believe, do, or say can ever affect my love, mercy, grace, goodness, and joy over and about you. Nothing ever, nothing you can ever do can ever make me disappointed in you. Nothing. 
Nothing you can ever do to, can cause me to condemn you or even be angry with you. If you want to use the word sad, okay, I'm sad when you don't experience the fullness of all your riches in Christ. However, I know the end result, which is pure goodness and total restoration of all things. I know exactly when that will happen for you, and we know you're getting closer and closer all the time. Papa said, Paul, the only thing we're ever angry about is the world's doctrinal system of darkness that lies about us and you. We are red hot angry with anything that portrays us as not good, distant, aloof, list-keeping, punitive, or upset with you. Anything. Anything that applies, implies that you're not worthy or you're depraved or you're a wretch. You, we, we can't stand to look at or be around. We are angry with those lies. We're angry with the system that lies to you about us and you because that keeps you from experiencing your wonderful, abundant life with us. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but we give you abundant life now. So finishing up, what would it look like for you if you really lived like God is your loving father? The apostle Peter learned, look at what he wrote in second Peter two is my last scripture for us today. <clears throat> he said, may grace and perfect peace cascade over you as you live in the rich knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. Everything you could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in you by God's divine power. All this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who has called us by name and invited us to come to him through a glorious manifestation of his goodness. As a result of this, God has given you, this means you, magnificent promises that are beyond all price so that through the power of these tremendous promises, we can experience partnership with the divine nature by which you've escaped the corrupt desires that are of the world. You have the divine nature. You can experience it. So devote yourselves to lavishly supplementing your faith with goodness, understanding, strength of self-control, patient endurance, godliness, mercy towards your brothers and sisters, unending love, all of these things are already deeply planted within you, and you possess them in abundant supply already. They will keep you from being inactive or fruitless in your pursuit of knowing Jesus Christ more intimately. Now, if anybody lacks these things, he's simply blind, constantly closing his eyes to the mystery of our faith and forgetting his innocence, for your sins have already been washed away. For this reason, beloved ones, be eager to confirm and validate that God has invited you to salvation and claimed you as his own. If you do these things, you will never stumble in your walk, in your life as being a son or daughter of God. So, friends, you are, every single one of you, you are a son or daughter of the all-good, all-loving, pure grace, pure light with no trace of darkness, absolute good God who delights in you, who enjoys being with you, and whom you can never disappoint. You can take that to the bank. And when you realize that, and you realize that you're one with that God, that Father, and that Father and Jesus and grace are in you and want more than anything for you to know how good they are, how much they love you, how good you are, what a good relationship you already have with them. When you know that, man, it changes everything in your life. 
it changes how you see yourself, how you see God, how you see other people, how you see your situation, changes how you see everything. It's really good. (laughs) It's just unbelievably good. It's good news, and there is no bad news to this good news. Thank you for being with me for another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. Love all of you guys. I'll see you next time in Grace to All. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.